ladies, 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 cheating is a bitter pill to swallow that causes not only shame, but actually confusion for most of us. I've really been on the kick lately that you notice about this issue. It really does boggle my mind how somebody can say they love you, that you're the apple of their eye, and then you find out that they've gone and betrayed you. So I've actually been bringing in more and more guests to let's just uncover the thing that actually can dent our confidence more than anything else. The amount of women that I've heard whose confidence is completely wrecked because of a betrayal is utterly freaking heartbreaking. And so I've really been diving deep into the subject to try and help you guys heal or understand why that is so that we can actually own our power. Now, falling in love and being in a relationship is actually risky business. So we also dig into why it's so damn hard to identify most cheaters before it actually happens. And Dr. Ramani breaks down seven types of cheaters and why defining what I love you means to each other may expose your partner's tendencies or capacity to cheat. When you know the signs, you know the signs. So if you're actually ready to heal your broken heart, protect yourself from future harm and give yourself the gift, the gift of love and respect, Mahomi, I got your back. I'm your host, Lisa Billy, and this is Women of Impact. I am sick and tired of hearing people saying, well, well, these are the things you did and that's why your man cheated on you. F you. Absolutely not. Somebody cheats on you, they betrayed you. Unless they clean that stuff up, you better believe it's once a cheater, always a cheater. But I think what is tricky about cheating and infidelity is... I heard that roughly one in four men now cheat in relationships, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. So when I think about how many people I've dated, the people at home dated, if you've dated more than four people, the chances are that maybe you've been cheated on. So what I want to know is, how can we start to identify the signs so that we don't get blindsided, so that we don't get heartbroken, and then we don't get betrayed? I'm surprised it's as low as one in four. I would have put it higher. I would have put it, so one in four is what, 25%? Yeah. I would have probably put it closer to 35, the one in three. So cheating is a very or infidelity or breaking the, the social contract of a relationship is a very complex behavior. And, and it has to do with sort of where does it fall in the life history of a relationship? How does it show up? What qualifies as cheating? All of that. Now, I'm going to sit here and, of course, you know, I'm going to tell you that if you already are getting vibes of a toxic relationship, someone who is interrupting you, someone who is hypersensitive, somebody who needs a lot of validation... I'm not saying everyone like that is going to cheat, but you've definitely turned up the volume on that probability happening. But I actually have to tell you the hard thing about infidelity, very frankly, Lisa, unlike what I usually talk about narcissism, I don't think there are great red flags. I think there's obvious red flags where people are going to be obvious cheaters. In your first, second, third date, they're already flirting with the server or the bartender, or they already seem to be huddled in a conversation with someone at the bar when you're supposed to be meeting them. And you're like, uh, or they're, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you so cozy with this person? Or they're, they're liking a lot of inappropriate pictures on social media, even when you're early in a relationship with them. You follow them on social media and you see that they're always, you know, making comments on people's pictures that kind of um, sort of put you off and make you wonder why are they having to comment on how sexy people's Mm -hmm. pictures are? Oh, they're just a friend. And if they gaslight you about it, if they say, oh, it's not a big deal, we're old friends. 
that's probably a little bit of a soft sign. But I think what is tricky about cheating and infidelity is that it's not always toxic people who do it. And because of that, I don't think that the red flags are as discernible. And I say that for one reason, that a lot of people say, how did I not see this coming? What kind of fool am I? More than anything, I'd say, I don't think you can see this coming. And in the years I have done clinical practice, I have worked with so many clients who have been cheated on. And every single one of the profiles of their partners were somewhat different. Mm. Okay, so is it just then you just have to accept that and then say you just have to trust that person? Like, where? how do we start to assess then whether the relationship is a healthy one, whether they are going to stray or not? I think one of the biggest problems is we talk all the time about what makes a toxic relationship, red flags, warning signs, what makes a healthy relationship? And I don't think we have a good shared definition on that. Now, I'm going to give you a mental health answer to that question, and it's going to include respect, compassion, kindness, patience, um, compromise, equality, balance, uh, the ability to see the strengths in the other partner and support them in their growth. Uh, th that's the stuff that is a healthy relationship. And then there's things like shared values, um, shared interests, shared some, sh some shared things you like to do together, um, an awareness of what the other needs. You might not be a physically touchy person, but your partner may be. So you really do, like you, you recognize that the snuggle time on the sofa or whatever it looks like for you is something that's important. Being aware of you know, what, what your partner needs and, and giving that because it feels reciprocal and mutual and you feel heard and seen. But let me tell you, if I had to pick only one word about what makes a healthy relationship, it would be safe. We feel safe when we're in a healthy relationship. We don't feel like we're about to be invalidated or put down or betrayed. Okay, so that's what a healthy relationship is. Now let's talk about this other issue of what about, and let's call cheating what it is. It's betrayal. Now, betrayal is a bigger word. Betrayal can be financial. Betrayal can be um, how a person shares confidences and secrets. And there's a lot of ways we can betray. But to me, cheating kind of has the Hall of Fame seat in the Betrayal Hall of Fame. You know, so when we come to that piece of it, like, are we just supposed to trust? In a healthy relationship, the trust comes naturally. So that brings the huge question of, is it possible infidelity could happen in a healthy relationship? It's very unlikely, but yes, it can, okay? It's more likely to be a symptom of an unhealthy relationship or a pattern we see in an unhealthy relationship. But the, the challenge of, can I figure out, like, do, am I just supposed to trust and get betrayed? Well, your other option is to forever hold back and never get to experience the fullness of a relationship. Every time we fall in love, every time we enter into a relationship, we are entering into a risky enterprise. So the balancing act is, I'm just never going to trust, but I'm going to have a relationship, but I'm never going to trust. And so I'm never going to be 100% in. And so when I'm cheated on, I'll be ready for it, which to me is almost like Let's say you live in hurricane country, it would be like forever having plywood over your windows, forever turning your house into a disaster bunker. You'd always be ready for a disaster, but no light would be coming through the windows and your house would look like a bunker. 
that you see what I'm saying? So like, what's the bunker equivalent of a, it being in a relationship? It'd be like, you'd forever be living in that kind of disaster mentality way. So you'd never fully relax. You'd never fully bring your bandwidth into the relationship. So yeah, you trust. And then yeah, your trust would be betrayed. Is there a way to prevent that? I don't think so. The one thing I'm never going to get behind Lisa, never, I, I mean, I, I can't say never enough is I am sick and tired of hearing people saying, well, well, these are the things you did and that's why your man cheated on you. F you. Absolutely not. Somebody cheats on you. They betrayed you. They did something. And this nonsense about, well, if you'd done more of this and that, absolutely not. If that person had a problem with how you were showing up in the relationship, they had the opportunity to have a conversation. Their form of betraying you to make that point, hell no. Yeah, fuck, oh, thank you so much for saying that. That's so powerful because I think that a lot of us take on that shame or the yes. blame ourselves. And now instead of addressing the, the person that did it, it becomes very shameful and you start to look at yourself and you start to question, what did I do wrong? But I think the tricky thing is, and you'd said it earlier, these are all the things that make a healthy relationship. Some people feel like they have that. The person saying, I love you, the person saying, you're my everything. They have kids and they adore the children and then they still go and cheat. Mm -hmm. So why, why do they? What is it mm -hmm. that we can maybe understand and grapple with? Because this is, it, it boggles my mind, Dr. Ramani, how someone can honestly say, I love you, look you in the eye, mm -hmm. Be kind to the children, sh shower you with things, and then go and cheat on you. So four answers to that. There's four questions there. Let's go backwards to what I called a healthy relationship, right? At no point did I ever say there, shower with you things, give you a lot of attention, love the hell out of the kids. <laughs> I said respect, compassion, kindness, patience, e um, equity in the relationship, right? To me, the showering is already a red flag. Mm. Okay, because it's easy to shower. It's really hard to do with that other stuff unless it comes naturally to you. Empathic, agreeable people are easy to be, it's easy for them to be respectful and compassionate and all that stuff. But if all they're doing is like the things like, they're the best and they give me all these gifts and they, they, like, they post pictures of the kids all the time and we all go to Disneyland. I'm like, mm, yeah, no, we're not at healthy yet. Keep giving me more. Okay. So it, but you come to, a, that, that takes me though to the next piece of, but they say, I love you. I love you has got to be the three most dangerous words in the English language because it means something different to everybody. When you say I love you to Tom, it means something different than what I would mean when I say I love you. And when he says it, it means something than what someone on and on and on and on. I think actually something I wish was a required part of every relationship is that you sat down across the table from someone three to six months in a relationship and said, could you break down what the I love you really means to you? Because I'd love to know what this means. Because for some people, it means very different things. For a narcissist, for example, I love you means I love how you make me look. I love how you praise me. I love that I got someone around all the time. I love how um, we have sex. I mean, it's all, it's all going to be very different. And someone else might say, I love you for, I feel safe and seen and heard. I, um, I see so much good in you. I feel blessed that I've, I've learned so much from you. Mm. We don't have, and that's the problem, and especially in narcissistic relationships, they say, I love you. 
And a lot of times people will say, you don't love me. You did all these things. And I'll be like, slow down. They said they love you. They believe they love you. You may not agree with their definition of love. Did you ever sit down with them and find out what that really means to them? So that's one whole different conversation. So they're saying, I love you. You're absolutely right. A person will say, you said you love me. How could you do this? So that now takes us to the last part of your question, which is what, why do people cheat? And I think that it's important to understand that there's many different kinds of cheaters. So before you go into the why, actually, one more thing to just add, uh, ask you about um, the I love you part. If you ask the narcissist what I love you means to them, are they going to admit, I, I love how you make me feel, I love how... So here's the answer you're going to get from them. Ugh. What? 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 Why do what? you want an explanation? Like, I don't know. I just uh, like, dude, I like hanging out with you. Like, I love you. Like, well, what do you want? I just said, I love you. It's not what you wanted. They will not be able to break that mm. down for you. Mm. Mm -mm. And that's what, remember, and again, I don't want to go too far in the narcissism weeds, mm. but one thing that narcissistic people cannot do is they're not clear on what motivates their behavior. It's very, it's a, it's a real defining characteristic. If you ask me what I love you means to me, I could give you a dissertation. I'm very clear on what those three words mean to me. I'm very, very clear. And, but most people, you know, and, and many healthy, all healthy people I know, they might say, give me a second. Okay, I, I, this is what it means. But a narcissistic person will never be able to answer that question and will become very defensive and angry if you were actually to um, ask that of them. Mm. Okay. Thank you. I was just mm -hmm. super curious. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now to the why then. Okay. So the why. So not all cheating is the same. And I think that that's one of the things we have to keep in mind. And, you know, there's, there's different kinds of cheaters out there. There are, you know, sort of what I call sort of the crime of opportunity cheaters. These are the folks who actually do love their partners and spouses. They do. They love them. They love their lives. They love their families. They love it all. And they're out of town on a convention. Maybe some people drank too much. The colleague they were a little flirty with is at the convention and a few sloppy kisses and a little bit of something, something later, they're like, oh God, you know, and it's a one night thing, or it might even not even be someone they know. It might be they meet someone wherever out at the bar, they're in the hotel, da, 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 da. And that's that. And they do not, they never have anything to do with this person again. It's the belief I'm never going to get found out. We don't even really know each other's names. Um, it, it, it could be somebody who often feels very st like stuck in their lives and by traveling and going and being a different place, they jump out of a role. They may feel mm. very defined and confined in their role. And so they're like, I'm just going to do this thing. But it, it's more than anything, it's a little bit of rebellion and it's acting out, okay? Then there are sort of your excitement-seeking cheaters. These are people who may be in relationships that have become quite stale for them, but they feel committed to the relationship. Perhaps they're in a relationship where it's not a frequency of sex that they want, that they're overwhelmed by everything that's happening in the relationship, whatever it is. And again, they may say and actually conduct themselves in a way that they love their partner, but then they are, they're looking for the excitement. They're looking for the excitement of the texts that come in, the um, fantasy of it all. The excitement seeking cheater, someone who'll spend hours in their day thinking of the excitement of the cheat. They're getting that, uh, that additional benefit in a way that we start getting into the whole emotional cheating. Like they're, they're daydreaming. They're not thinking about their partner. They're not thinking about the stuff they're going to do to their family. They're sort of getting caught up in this ridiculous fantasy. But even they would know they're never going to really make a life with this person. There's an immaturity to the excitement-seeking cheater because they're they're not sort of dealing with the core issue, whether it's that the relationship has become, whether 
again, sort of stale and, and that need maybe for a little more excitement, which is its own, again, sort of if more than anything, an immaturity. So the excitement-seeking cheater may even get into a long kind of a texty-text sequence with someone before they ever even meet up with the person. And then it might be these really stolen moments. And half the excitement is planning it and where are we going to meet and da-da-da-da. So there's that kind of cheating. There are the people who are, I'm going to call this group of cheaters, and I'm making these, these are designations I use. I'm not saying they're official by any stretch. Another kind of a cheater is, I'm cheating to keep my primary relationship together cheater. They believe that. So these are people who are like, I hate my, my relationship. I hate my marriage. I hate whatever I'm in. And if I have this other thing going on, it's giving me enough juice to be able to manage staying in this relationship I don't like. And it keeps me from breaking up my marriage, breaking up my family, breaking up this, but this other thing is helping me feel. I don't feel anything. I hate this person. I dislike this person. So I'm going to have this little affair and then, or big affair, and I don't have to address this. Then there are the, I mean, again, and this, this, this fourth group is an interesting group because I'm going to call them the online cheaters. These are the people who are getting into electronic cheating relationships with people. It's texting, it's sharing pictures, it's it's dick pics, it's nude pics, it's um they masturbate with each other on the on the you know on the phone like they'll have video calls. They send dirty texts to each other. They never meet. This might happen, might start through DMs. It might be people who meet each other, but it's a back and forth and a back and forth and they actually never meet. So the person is kind of getting this sort of sizzle in their day, these pictures, these these messages, you're babe, I can't stop thinking about me, babe, you're so sexy, babe. And then all this babe nonsense that's coming up through their really boring meeting that they're having in the middle of the day. And they're getting a lot of, again, a lot of juice from that. Then you have your emotional cheaters. These are people who are, in essence, really almost having a love affair and maybe not sex, maybe maybe a kiss or something, but it's really like, I love you. I've never felt seen like this before. You are my soulmate, such nonsense and all that. Then you have the emotional cheaters. And then you got the narcissistic cheaters. And in the narcissistic cheater world, this is a whole different animal, okay? And in the narcissistic cheating world, you have serial, they tend to be serial cheaters. They're doing it to get validation. They have absolutely no empathy for, so they're not thinking. All of these cheaters could be argued that some of that is happening, right? They're not, if they really thought about their partner, they would not be sending dirty texts. They would not have had, they would have not fooled around with someone at a, at a convention. They, you know, and again, for even someone who's in a terrible relationship, but is keeping it together for whatever their reasons that they're trying to keep it together, for them, they might say, I don't have empathy for my partner. You're absolutely right. That's why I'm doing this, because I don't care, right? So they're acknowledging it. But the narcissistic cheater doesn't want the relationship to go away because it's serving a function for them, but they're going out and getting what they want. And they will do it repeatedly. Narcissistic cheaters lie about cheating. They gaslight about cheating. They blame their partner when they cheat. All of those other forms of cheating, those folks may not necessarily blame their partners. When they're caught, a lot of cheaters will be like, I screwed up. I am sorry. I feel sick for what I've done to you. Uh, you're a good person. You didn't deserve this. Like, that's not what the narcissistic cheater does. The narcissistic cheater will say, you know why I cheated? I cheated because you make me feel bad about myself. You know, if it's been a long time since you've told me, like, I'm, I, I'm great, 
and this person actually sees me and blah, blah, blah. Okay. So they, they, they get supply. They do it repeatedly. They don't consider how it affects their partner. They feel entitled to it. They lie about it. They gaslight about it. And they sort of, they, they do it with reckless abandon over and over and over again. They are very good at not getting caught many times because they're so accustomed to doing it, right? So there's that. There's a couple other forms of cheating I'll talk about, then we'll sort of bring it all together. There are people out there who are, who have issues, some people call it sex addiction. I prefer to call it sort of compulsive sexual behavior. These are people who are, might be called porn addicts or they might go to massage parlors. So they really, much like any addict would, they feel out of control. So they may be masturbating eight to 10 times a day as they watch porn. They may go see uh, sex workers and get a blowjob in the street. They, I mean, they, they're very completely emotionally disconnected from the sex of it all. They're disgusted by themselves, but much like a drug addict, they almost felt like they couldn't mm-hmm. sort of stop themselves. So there's also that kind of a, there's that sort of cheating group too. All right. So we'll put them in their own place. But as you can see that these are all, these are people who are infidelity is serving a lot of different functions for them. And there is a sort of a, a, these are, and at the core of it, these are people who are not communicating well in their relationships, who feel entitled to something outside of the relationship, who are not being mindful and engaging in full empathy at all times for how this is affecting them. And in the case of those, I hate my partner cheaters, it might be a survival mechanism. They're very different people. These cheaters are all very, very different people. So you can see how that one night stand at their teacher's convention cheat. It's a great person, best partner, loving, engaged, plays with the kids, loves the partner. The the partner wouldn't even have a moment of suspicion, even helped the person pack their suitcase as they went off to the convention, was even calling them every day, not even a moment suspicion. Mm. And when that person comes back, if anything, they're probably going to be full of remorse and guilt and disgust and might even double down on their attempts to make the relationship good. I'd be loath to call that person a narcissist. Sloppy, messy, immature, unthinking, sure. Um, Some people think that cheating behaviors can have some of their roots in trauma, that that these are behaviors that are very much embedded in things like shame in low self-worth, in um, distorted scripts and narratives around sex, sexuality, boundaries. So like you see what I'm saying, cheating is not a a unidimensional thing. It's a very, very nuanced space. So when I work with clients who either are the cheater or have been cheated on, we really have to do a deep dive on what the whole sort of cheating landscape looked like. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with hires as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. 
But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore and that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doctor that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, not weeks because let's face it when you're sick you need to see someone right now so my homie do not i repeat do not neglect your health instead go over to zocdoc.com slash lisa and download the zocdoc app for absolutely free then find and book a top rated doctor today that's zocdoc z-o-c-d-o-c dot com slash lisa zocdoc.com slash lisa and i assume the clients that are cheaters in that you've seen as clients are not the narcissist cheaters like i've worked with narcissists oh really and so do they just sit with you and then give every excuse under the sun they there's shame there will be shame there will be entitlement there will be a lack of self-awareness I'm struck with every time I've worked with a narcissist cheater when I kind of gently try to get them to, uh, how do you think, in many cases it was a man, so let me use that, and it was a heterosexual relationship, but not always. It was, I, I worked with many gay couples where this was an issue. I'd say, can I ask you something? How do you think your, your wife would feel about this? I, I just want to know. And Sometimes the reaction would be like, well, she'd be really mad. Like I'm a dead man walking if she finds out. And I'd say, that's not what I, that's not how she'd feel. That's how she'd react. Let's go deeper. Mm -hmm. How would she feel? And they go back to angry again. Why? Because angry is about them. It'll take a few cracks for them to say, she'd be hurt. She'd feel sad. She would, and and so, and then I'd say, so is that okay with you? 
you could see that it never even registered for them. They're not even accessing it. Takes, it took me, it would take a while for them to even in a meaningful way reflect on how their behavior would be affecting mm. this person. That's how entitled they felt to cheating. And when um, confronting a narcissist cheater specifically, I've heard you talk about Darvo. Yeah, so Darvo, thank you. So when you confront a narcissist cheater, especially if it's in your own relationship, right? Darvo stands for deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. So let's say you're in a relationship with a narcissist. I'm going to play this out with you. I'm going to pretend mm -hmm. you're my partner. Yeah. And I, I say, hey, you know, like, wh what is this? Like, I saw, I saw these texts come up on your phone. It's very clear you were meeting someone else last night. You said you were doing da-da-da. And you say, that's not true. That's not, I, I did not. Absolutely, that is not what happened. Like, and first of all, get off, get the hell off my phone. And no, that's not what happened. All right, so don't like take half a story and make something up. And then you, then you would say, and you know what? Like, I am so tired of living like this. I'm constantly dealing with your stupid accusations. Like, stop doing this to me, Romani. Like, enough. Stop accusing me. Like, I'm tired of living with a crazy person. I'm tired of living with a person who thinks it's okay to I take my phone. Like, it is, you are weird. There's something w wrong with you. Like, I, I do everything around here. I do freaking everything. And now this, I'm done. Like, I can't believe you do this. What's wrong? So now you've attacked me. Then it's reversing victim and offender and say, you know what? Like actually what you don't do around here, you sit around all the time, Ramani, you, you do nothing all the time. And like, I am killing myself to make this family work. Who's the one who took the kids to the soccer game two weeks ago? That would have been me. I'm doing it all. I don't even know what the hell you do. And, and now, but what you are do, you're great at being the police. But I guess this is my freaking cross to bear is to be accused of all this stuff all the time. You see what the, we started with, hey, you were not honest about where you were down to I'm suffering in this relationship and it's your fault and you're the reason I'm suffering. Mm. So how do you, um, how would you approach then somebody if you start to feel like maybe they're cheating? Maybe you see some signs they're going, like, in fact, like going into the restroom and texting or having yeah. two phones and things like that. What other things maybe can we identify there? And then how would you then approach it, whether they're a narcissist or not, and maybe you can break those down? Well, I think it's going to be different. With a narcissistic cheater, there's no confronting them. Mm -hmm. There's no, I mean, the best kind of, the best you're going to do is say, you can confront them. But it's not, it's not because you're going to get an honest answer. Let's say you have the smoking gun. At some point, you get, you get the picture. The, the, the person they're cheating with reaches out to you. Like you've, got, you've got video. You've got pictures. You've got incontrovertible evidence. At the time, they can no longer worm out of it. Then they'll say, okay, yes, happy are you happy? Do you feel better, St. Lisa? Do you feel better about yourself now that, okay, yeah, I was with someone else. You know what? This relationship has been absolutely horrible for me. So yes, I'm the great sinner of our time that I went and met someone else, okay? But you know what? I should have done this a long time ago. But I, I knew you were going to go completely bonkers. This is not working. So what they do is they get defensive they get angry. They use it as an opportunity to criticize the person they've betrayed. Okay. And then 
And then obviously they, them and their shame walk off into the sunset. So, but it is all that their anger is coming out of this. They know they're not supposed to do this, right? Narcissistic people aren't psychopathic, nor are they fully delusional. They know this isn't cool. They also know it's going to make them look bad. And they will start trying to do damage control and get out in the world and say, you know, she's making this big deal about it. Like we were just hanging out. We were friends. And now that it's over that, yeah, sure. Obviously, like, you know, we're seeing each other now, but with always like narcissistic people always lie about the timeline. Mm. Always. It's like, yeah, she was crazy. She was, it was, not only she was crazy, like we weren't together. Like we were just texting, we were hanging out, was like nothing. And yeah, then when me and such and such blew up, sure, we started spending more time together. But like when you see a narcissistic person quickly go out of a long-term marriage into new relationship, there was most likely overlap. Right, because it doesn't happen like that. Right, that that boom boom means that the the groundwork was getting was getting set, and then then they will parachute out, or their partner will kick them out. So what I do say though is that if you are in a narcissistic relationship and you suspect you don't have the smoking gun, as it were, there's a shift in the energy. There is a there's suspicious behavior. There's the going into the bathroom. There's texting someone else in the middle of the night. It's them disappearing from long for long periods of time. Could even be them slipping and calling you another name. It could be obvious. It could be not obvious. But it's it is a it's I guess it would be called circumstantial evidence. I can promise you, confronting the narcissistic person on that is going to get you nowhere. So if you're in a relationship like that. The hard work then becomes in the state this relationship is in now. Let's put the cheating aside for a minute. Do you like this relationship? My guess is you probably don't, but you've been trying to keep a toxic relationship afloat, right? So if you don't like this relationship, this is not working for you, and you suspect they're cheating, to take some of that onto yourself and say, I don't want this anymore. But the the place people get stuck, Lisa, is They'll say, I feel like I have to prove it. So when I tell people I left, I can tell them it's because he was cheating, mm. right? They want that yeah, substantiation, right? But I say to people, isn't it enough that you identified this as a relationship where the trust feels flimsy and you did not feel safe and you did not feel seen and you felt like it was emotionally abusive? Isn't that enough of a reason to leave the relationship? It doesn't have to be the great showdown about cheating. You can even say, listen, I don't know if you've been betraying me or not, but all I can say is this is not working for me anymore. Something here isn't right and I want out. But narcissistic people are so good at gaslighting is only people with the most extraordinary conviction are going to be like, I don't even care about the evidence. Something ain't right here. I'm out. Why do then people stay even if they don't have the evidence, but they have the suspicion, whether they're in, with a narcissist so or not? Now you're asking a great question. And this relates to something that Dr. Jennifer Fried calls betrayal blindness. Now, betrayal blindness is this process whereby a person is in a relationship where they're, where they're or an intimate, close relationship, family relationship, intimate relationship, where their trust is being betrayed. But to see that, to know that, that that's happening, means that their life would really crumble. The status quo would change, right? The, the, the life they thought they had wouldn't be true anymore. And so seeing it means everything falls apart. So what Dr. Fried argues is that it's partly an unconscious, not fully an unconscious process of us doing a lot of this, okay? So we kind of don't have to see it. We kind of make 
excuses, but it's all, it's more than that. It's she describes it so beautifully in her book. She says she gives an example of a woman who had been in a relationship with a man who, and I'm going to gloss over some of the details, but he was really emotionally cruel to her and very distant, very remote. Um, and then she had a baby, they had a baby together and he was traveling a lot for his work. But in, instead of coming right home, which you would think a man who was a new baby would want to see his new baby right away, he'd still stop off for happy hour and all that on his way back into town, right? So this was a very disconnected man. And it was pretty clear that he was doing something that was dodgy or shady. The woman still didn't suspect this and would be grateful when he'd come home and see her and the child, but she spent a lot of time without him there. A friend of hers once suggested, hey, we should go out and we should get, um, we should go out and meet the guys for dinner, right? So she got a babysitter and they were going to surprise them and show up. So they go to the restaurant, they're sitting at the back of the restaurant, hubby walks in, and as he walks in, a woman jumps up and starts pretty much making out with him. And she sees this happening as she's walking from the back of the restaurant to the front to greet him. When he comes out of the embrace, there's still some distance away. Apparently, it was a big restaurant. She said, what were you doing? Why were you kissing that other woman? And he said, I wasn't kissing. What are you talking about? Like, I wasn't kissing anyone. She said, I just saw it. You were just kissing that woman. He's like, "Ugh, I, I don't even know what that was about. I think that woman thought I was someone else. She just jumped up and started doing it. Like, I wasn't like kissing. I wasn't like in it with her. Like, she just jumped up. She thought it was very clear. She like that the, it was a makeout session. And she bought it. Did she actually buy it or did well, she tell there's herself? the question. Mm. So Dr. Fried then interviewed her years later. And she said at that moment in the bar, in the restaurant, she saw the kiss. He said what he said about the kiss. And the, and the thing she said, it stuck with me so much when she said this. She said, it's as though it went whoosh out of my brain. Because if it stayed in my brain, my whole life was now the whole, everything was going to go. It was as though there was a process operating to allow the person to stay pseudo safe, right? Because now she's not with a cheater. Mm. She just, oh, it was just, that was a silly, that's a silly girl, silly girl doing that at the front of the bar. She did subsequently leave him. And she then said, you know, it's strange because it's not like I don't remember it. It's there. It happened. I know it. And even as I tell you this again, I remember it. But somehow it almost got pushed away. It's like, imagine your hippocampus, which holds a memory in your brain. And it's like, it, it, like, it's like putting something on a shelf. Think of the hippocampus as a shelf and someone kind of goes behind the bookcase, right? It's mm -hmm. like that. It kind of goes behind the bookcase of the hippocampus. Now it's not being held in memory and it's not affecting how a person's processing the relationship. But here's where it gets interesting, Lisa. What Dr. Fried says about betrayal blindness is that just because stuff whooshes away, it doesn't go away. Mm. So while as we sit in these relationships, we start feeling sicker and less in our bodies and uncomfortable, but we can't name it because all the stuff's falling behind the bookcase, mm. right? So we don't see the thing, but we're like, I don't know, I'm not feeling well, I'm depressed, my body hurts, I'm sick, I'm, I'm not sleeping well, my head, it, people say it's a whole bunch of stuff. But that's how the betrayal blindness works. Betrayal blindness is a big mechanism in narcissistic relationships because when you think about it, all that stuff falling behind the bookcase, and now you think you have a clean house. Actually, no, you have a bunch of junk behind your mm. bookcase. That's what you've got. And it's, and it's not lost, it's there, collecting dust, but still taking a toll on you. And that's how people can see it 
but not see it. Because to see it, and I cannot tell you, Lisa, the number of clients I've worked with who said, I remember one woman in particular who said, her friend said, you know what? His office is out near where I live. You know he's cheating. I am happy one day to kind of follow this fool around because I know you'll find something or whatever. And the woman's like, I don't want you to do that. I don't want to see. And in a way, that's a person acknowledging that if I see it, then I have to do something about it. So I don't want to see it because it's not because they're foolish. It's not because they're ridiculous. It's not even denial. It's the shaking up of the status quo, the feeling compelled. And it changes, the, it changes the landscape of the relationship that a person's like, now what I thought was a relationship with someone trustworthy, I'm in a relationship with someone who is or could betray me or has betrayed me. And that changes the entire game. And so it's a, it's a protective mechanism that many people I've known have said, I know if I open their phone, I'm going to see something shady and I don't have the bandwidth for this right now. And that's because they actually then have to process, well, if they cheat on me, I have to then decide whether to stay and forgive them or leave. If I choose to leave, maybe then I have to, yeah, joint custody if we've got kids, who gets the house, the, house? the money, <clears throat> the this, the that, the Christmas, the Thanksgiving, mm. the blah, 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 the whole thing. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. And then I actually interviewed uh, someone called Spirit and she's a relationship expert. And the one thing that she said to me that really hit me was she said, often when um, you have to mourn the life you thought you were going to have Correct. with them. Mm -hmm. And so you've you projected like, oh, we're going to get old together. We're going to, you know, see our grandkids at the school play. And so if you have to address the cheating and you decide to leave, now you, there's a whole future mm -hmm. that has somewhat been demolished. It has been. Not only has the future been demolished, not everyone leaves. But now you're staying in a, originally you thought you were staying in a relationship with a great person. Mm. Now you're staying in a relationship with a betrayer. It's a very different love story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's actually talk about then the, um, staying and leaving, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. So what would have to be true, I guess, for someone to stay and for that to rebuild? I don't think anything has to be true. I think lots of people stay after their trust has been betrayed through infidelity. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one set of reasons go to the practicality of it. Okay, so this happened, and they might they may actually weigh out what the cheating was. 
right? Was it a one night stand in Vegas and this person has been apologizing and groveling every day of their lives? Was this a an emotional, cheating, weird texting, something like something that maybe that wasn't the level of physical contact, but still it was emotional. Again, keep in mind, emotional cheating women will typically report that emotional affairs do greater number on them in terms of betrayal than sexual affairs. Mm. Like the the wham bam, thank you, ma'am, in Vegas would bother them less than the long-term emotional affair of somebody saying that they love someone or were getting emotional needs. Most people will describe the emotional infidelity as far more betraying mm. as it were. And so I think that when that decision is made about whether a person stays or goes, we have to account for the practicality of it all. Some people might say, I don't know if I have it in me to go through a custody battle and splitting up the house and the finances and all of that, because this fool got a blowjob in Las Vegas. Like, mm. it, it, I don't know if I can do that. They might say, I've seen a new side of this person. I feel like the relationship has changed, but there's that group. There is a group that will say there was, there was, this person took responsibility. They were accountable. They apologized. I did feel that they, you know, other than that moment where they were mindless and did, you know, did something that hurt me, whatever amends that were made were meaningful enough for a person to say, we can move forward from this. If you look at people like Esther Perel's work, she'd say some folks, some pe people will even say their relationships got stronger after that. Really? That means the narcissist. I can tell you that right now because these are people who make genuine amends, right? They'll say, I screwed up. I did. I, I'm not, and they won't even try to make an excuse. They'll say, I screwed up. I hurt you. Whatever you decide, I will live with. Um, but I, I screwed this up and they will try their best. And after that, some people will say, I can work with this and they'll go into couples therapy and they'll break it down and they'll do it. And some people will say, even after all that couples therapy work, even with good amends, they'll say, nope, mm -hmm. you're someone I can't trust. I can't be in a relationship with someone I can't trust. Um, some people will fall into the betrayal blindness place. They'll say, especially if it's a more narcissistic relationship because those relationships are so much more confusing. Remember, the narcissistic cheater is going to gaslight the hell out of you. They, By the time they're done, you will have been blamed for their affair. They would have said, you gained weight, the kid, not enough sex. You don't even support me anymore. You're not interested in me. We don't have the same interests. Blah, 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 blah. They'll blame you. They will fully blame you. They will not take responsibility. They will not make amends. They will give a hollow apology. Or better yet, they'll give an empty apology. Someone will take them back and they'll do it again. Right? And, and when you say hollow apology, like, oh, I'm sorry. Babe, I'm, so uh, you know what? Like, I'm sorry. I, you know, that wasn't cool. Let's go to couples therapy. Like, they'll do all the things you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. But it, but I'm sorry is very different than I hurt you. I can see what this has done. I broke the trust in this relationship. Mm. I cannot sit here and expect you will forgive me. All I can say is, I am the one responsible for this. You had nothing to do with this. I was the one who made the choice that night. And I have to abide by whatever you choose. Um, and and that, to me, narcissist is never, ever, ever going to be able to do that unless they're really well rehearsed. Mm -hmm. um, but then if they do it again, well, then you know you know what, what, what that's about. There's sort of two sides to the equation. There is the person who's betrayed, 
what they can live with, the practical factors they're under, the level of betrayal, blindness, the nature of whether narcissism is present in the cheating or not. And then there's how the cheater behaves. Are they accountable? Do they take responsibility? Are they self-aware? Are they clear on how much this hurt the other person? And are they aware that an apology doesn't necessarily mean that means that everything's going to be okay? That they recognize that once they put it all out there, make amends, apologize, all of that, that the other person may still say, get out. Mm. So what do you think about the quote then, once a cheater, always a cheater? I think once a cheater, always a cheater is, speaks to what we know about human behavior. The one thing we know about human behavior is that past behavior predicts future behavior. So if you know someone has cheated before, you've now entered it in as a possibility in this equation. Now, it's not, it, it, you're going to look at other developmental factors. If a person says, I cheated on someone when I was 19 years old, and now you're 40, I'm like, okay. You know, I mean, developmentally, those are very different stages. Um, I'd say with narcissistic cheaters, it's going to be a once a cheater, always a cheater. There are some people out there, though, who once a cheater blew up their life learned, went to therapy, did the work, made amends, not necessarily from a straight probability modeling statistical basis. I totally agree with once a cheater, always a cheater. I prefer with narcissistic folks, it's always going to be once a cheater, always a cheater. I think there is a possibility in the other group of that not being the case. But remember what cheating is a marker variable for. This is a person who showed some level of impulsivity acting out, poor communication skills, unless they clean that stuff up, you better believe mm. it's once a cheater, always a cheater. Yeah, God, so sure. I actually have a stat about that. Um, according to psychology today, if they cheated before, then they're three times more likely yeah, to cheat again. It. Yeah, yeah. So it, what it, it's, it's this, right? Whatever function cheating serves for them, validation, release of tension, address boredom, um, entitlement, whatever that thing was, right? That thing might still be there. So of course that's going to enhance that likelihood of them doing it again. Listen, a lot of cheating never gets caught. People go and do the thing and they go and live their lives and nobody ever knows about it. You better believe those people are going to cheat again because they figured out how to do it. And it's like getting a speeding ticket, right? That Everybody who gets a speeding ticket is not getting a speeding ticket because it's the first time they were speeding. They've speeding, they were speeding lots of times. And this time the cop had the radar on them. <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And in fact, I was watching a show the other day and the person was, I think, it was like, it was, I don't know what the hell the show was, but the person was citing Warren Buffett. Is like, If you put a police car on someone for 500 miles, they're going to be able to get them on something. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing that, you know, if a person cheats once and gets away with it, they're going to do it again. Because whatever that, so what it shows is the relative lack of empathy towards the partner, the impulsivity, whatever need was getting met, and there's no punishment. So if there's no consequence and the behavior is rewarding, a person's going to do it again, right? And they'll do it again, and they'll do it again. And just like that speeding ticket, they're going to get caught. Because one day they're going to get sloppier. Women cheat better than men, too. Women are less likely to get caught. Whoa. Why is that? I think women are probably less impulsive and probably a bit more organized and deliberate in how they go about it. They cover their tracks better. They may even engage in more 
emotional kinds of liaisons, but they are, they're less sloppy, but women don't get caught as much. Maybe men also though, in heterosexual relationships, men may not suspect it as much in a female partner as the other way. Mm. And actually, I don't know why these two tie together, but thinking about, you know, a guy like the kind of joke is you ask a guy to look for something and he can't find it and yet it's right in front of him, you know, like like check a closet or something. And they're like, I can't find it. Is that also part of it? Like part of their mental map? They don't identify and they don't even see the signs, even if there were signs? Well, I think it's bimodal. I think there's a group of men out there who are paranoid, um, mm. jealous, narcissistic in some cases where they suspect cheating where none is happening. Then there's a group of men who may simply trust their partners. They may be agreeable men who just don't, who don't, who do trust their partners. And I think there's a third group of men who just simply aren't paying attention. Mm. So those men may actually be very inattentive partners. They may be gone a lot. They may not be plugged into their, their partner's needs, wants, world. And so we got to remember in the cheating world, there is a piece here while in some cases where a person, again, might be in sort of an anemic relationship and someone comes up with interest. And I've worked with more than a few people who've been in narcissistic relationships and they couldn't see a way out for, again, financial, mostly financial and practical reasons. Some were religious and cultural reasons, but they couldn't see a way out. And someone rolled up and simply started paying attention to them and being kind to them. And they, and they said, they did, I mean, they said for the first time I felt seen and they started spending more and more time with the person and one thing led to another. And they said the contrast between being seen by this person I was having this affair with and how cold my narcissistic relationship was, they said, I felt tremendous shame that I was doing this, but it was the only place I sort of felt alive. And again, that's something else Esther Perel writes about is people who have these extramarital or extra relational or infidelity relationships, and they feel more alive in those relationships. But I'm always going to come back to the central tenet of it's, there's still a communication issue, but I understand folks who are in the most narcissistic relationships that if I said, I don't feel seen and I don't feel, feel heard, nothing's going to change in this relationship, nothing. And so I am now for the first time in my life or the first time in my adult life, getting this loving attention from somebody else. And it, it could be quite, quite destabilizing for people because they are in fact breaching trust. And let me tell you, it gets real messy real fast because if the, especially a narcissistic person who's really neglectful. Some narcissistic people are just super neglectful in relationships. They don't even notice the partner unless they need them. They're just sort of married on paper. They're married for social reasons. They just don't care. And literally their partner could walk into the living room naked, wrapped in saran wrap, and they will not notice this person. And so the people in those relationships will say there's absolutely, they will even say this person wasn't even necessarily yelling or screaming at me. Sometimes they'd invalidate me. Sometimes they'd leave me feeling dumb, but they simply do not notice me. So when someone did, I went for it, but then there'll be a lot of remorse. Like I broke the code here. And then they, having endured that narcissistic relationship, are still the bad guy for cheating. So you can see that this gets to be really, really complicated. But ultimately, you know, they'll say, I didn't leave because I didn't want to blow up a family. I didn't want to do, you know, I didn't want to lose my family of origin. I didn't want to experience the loss in social status I would have experienced if I got found out. Mm -hmm.